Welcome to another edition of the Morning Briefing. I'm Jeff DeForest, along with one Mike Luby Lubitz here on NoFilter.net. Happy to have you guys along for the ride. But we throw this term around a lot, and uh, it seems to be applicable to uh, virtually anything that I've attempted in life and or, you know, uh, tried to endeavor to uh, accomplish. Uh, and it is especially true. I don't know about you, Luby. I guess, you know, you have only one failed marriage in the background there, and you got married again. And, you know, people, uh, you know, it was a buzz uh, at the wedding. It was, uh, you know, very nice, uh, gracious of you to invite us even though we were kind of more like hecklers than we were guests at your wedding. And, you know, the word Meshuggah surfaced a couple of times. Like, uh, why is this guy doing this? Uh, has he uh, somehow gone Meshuggah? And uh, you have to be a little bit Meshuggah in this life. It's a Jewish slang word for uh, a little bit crazy. Chutzpah, I guess, what uh, would be something along similar lines. But, uh, you know, chutzpah implies that uh, you, you just have a lot of courage Whereas uh, if you're Meshuggah, you got uh, maybe a screw loose uh, here and, and you're about to do something that uh, seems to be really stupid, which is uh, what it was all about when uh, I, I was encouraged the other day. And I, I think I went out of my way to encourage people to maybe take up this proposition or at least consider it. And uh, that is first we had the uh, you know, idea that maybe Arizona was a good bet to win the World Series of the two teams that were 50 to one. Going into the postseason now. This isn't uh, before the regular season starts. If you were an Arizona Diamondbacks fan and they offered you 50 to 1 for your team to win the championship that year, you might have said, eh, right, I'll be a little bit Michigan. I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll take a shot with that. But if uh, you were looking before the postseason, I mean, you, you only had 12 teams in the field. So, uh, you know, there, there was a 1 in 12 chance. Technically, that your team was going to be the right one. So uh, the odds, uh, proportionately, it would have been 12 to 1 for, you would think, uh, everybody in the field if all things were equal. But th they weren't. This is sports. And so you were getting 50 to 1 on the Arizona Diamondbacks. And what we've realized, uh, as the Diamondbacks are now trailing a red-hot Philadelphia team where everybody is hitting home runs. I think Dave Dombrowski has two home runs so far in the series. But uh, they are finding themselves in a 2 nothing hole, and you realize it's, it's almost impossible to boot home that 50-to-1 shot. That really, I mean, there's a reason that the odds are so prohibitive on a team and that they're, you're getting such a generous payout. And the bookies love it when, when you start betting these kind of long shots, right? Hey, Lo, can you believe this? Hey, what's the Diamondbacks? 50-to-1. So... I've had this experience where I've tried to boot home 50 to one shots. I'm, I'm sure you have too, uh, even though uh, we're thinking that uh, most people in general uh, find gambling to be a losing proposition and uh, seldom do these sort of things work out. But when they do, it's absolutely magnificent. It's unforgettable. It's the kind of thing that you uh, shall need. And you're, you're trying to impart some kind of wisdom to them. And you say, Hey, you know what, little Johnny, there was a time that I bet this horse at 50 to 1. And I remember distinctly uh, seeing a horse on the track. Uh, I was in Atlantic City at the time in the uh, Regatta Sportsbook and Racebook. And I, I was losing my ass uh, for the trip. And I was thinking, is there any way out here, any kind of salvation? You're, you're already starting to condemn the idea that you went on the trip in the first place, right? And you're going to come back, in our case, uh, to our home base in Florida and, and think to yourself, uh, you know, how, how miserably stupid. And ignorant was it of me to go on this gambling venture and lose like a couple of times. So you're asking yourself, is there any way out? All of a sudden, it, it hit me. I mean, as if it had just been dropped in from the skies, from the gods of gambling, 
I see a horse on the track at Laurel, and it's uh, getting late in the day, so it's uh, kind of you know, foggy there, and uh, there might be some rain falling. And uh, I'm looking at this horse. He looks magnificent. You, you would have thought they put Secretariat in, into this bullshit cheap oak claiming race. And uh, we're, we're telling you that, uh, you know, even though he's racing under another name, this is indeed the big red machine. And so I, I'm, I'm looking, the odds are 20 to 1. And, and they're slowly drifting up. And I'm thinking, wow, I, I'm just going to go ahead and take a shot here. Bet the horse to win, bet him in exactus, wheel him in daily doubles. And uh, if it's my day, then, then very good. A life and death stretch duel unfolds. And uh, as, as they're loading into the gate, I actually took a glance at the form and realized that there was no way in hell that anybody in their right mind should ever, ever bet on this particular pony. Uh, he had not raced in two years. When he did race, he was uh, an absolute glue factory special. I mean, this was a horse that should have been banned off the track and taken straight to the slaughterhouse and had the PETA people all upset that, uh, you know, they, they were representing, again, once again, in thoroughbred racing, an extreme amount of uh, unjust cruelty to animals to even consider this horse to be a racehorse. Absolutely horrible uh, form. In, in a life and death, nose-to-nose affirmed an Alidar type of stretch duel all through the lane as they got to the wire there. And I am screaming my guts out. I, I poured every ounce of my emotional fiber into trying to boot this horse home. He finally wins it. And at the end, I'm completely exhausted. I, I look like Diana Nyad when she got out of the water there in Key West after she finally had accomplished her long, lifelong dream to uh, swim from, and what possessed her to want to do this is beyond comprehension, to swim from Havana uh, through the Florida Straits there and uh, end up on U.S. soil. And she tried it a couple of times and failed, and you know, not only failed, but, I mean, it was uh, debilitating for her uh, psychologically, physically. It had taken a lot out of her. Everybody, all of her friends are telling Diana and I, don't do this. Don't jump in the water again from Havana and trying to swim to the United States of America. And uh, when she finally made it, she, she steps up, uh, you know, and gets out of the water, uh, maybe ankle deep. And she literally looked like Chuck Wepner in the 15th round of that fight in Cleveland with Muhammad Ali. I mean, the Bayonne bleeder from every pore. She had a jellyfish on her head, uh, stings on, and bites all over her body, and uh, looked like she could barely uh, make it to the shore, even from, from two feet away. And you're thinking, my God, what, what a mess she was. That's how I looked after this stretch to her. And that's how tough it is to boot home uh, any kind of a 50-to-1 shot. So, so we're not looking too good or too swift with the Arizona Diamondbacks right now, trailing 2 nothing yet. We were encouraging people the other day to uh, bet on the Houston Astros. Now, uh, at, at, uh, they were, at least going into yesterday's ballgame, at 4-1 to one to come back and win the series. Now, these are best-of-seven series. You kind of have to adjust your thinking. You were thinking, okay, the first one, two out of three, second one, three out of five, four out of seven now, which still means, I mean, you're, you're looking into some uh, really uh, uh, strong odds against this happening, the uh, Astros would have to win four out of five against the red-hot Texas Rangers, who had just rattled off not, not just seven wins in a row, but seven extremely impressive, mostly lopsided victories in succession in the postseason in uh, working their way into the league championship series uh, against the Astros, who have been there now seven consecutive years. Big edge to the Astros going in. They were favored on all of the lines there. All of the books had them as the choice to win the series. They lose the first couple of games at home, and all of a sudden, you're getting four to one. So you had to be a little bit of a sugar to go ahead and uh, take up that proposition. 
and take the Houston Astros at four to one. But uh, there was some logic to it last night, and, and it all played out. First, you had to hope that the top of the order would uh, snap out of their coma. Uh, Jose Altuve so far in the series looked like he was some midget wrestler on uh, some carnival circuit out of the Midwest. I mean, you, you didn't know if you were looking at Altuve or Sky Lolo handling, uh, you know, handling a bat up there at the plate. Uh, he, he had been uh, useless. Normally uh, an excellent postseason player. Hit his 25th postseason home run last night. Uh, not an insignificant number. I know he's been in a lot of games because uh, the Astros have gone that far in the postseason the last seven years that he's been there. Uh, and uh, you had Tucker who was inept going into this ball game. Uh, the only guy that was hitting was Alvarez. Who all of a sudden, this, this is like facing Willie Stargell uh, when he was with the uh, We Are Family Pirates. I mean, who wants to pitch to Alvarez? Nobody hitting over 400 in the postseason. But they, they finally got it going. There was reason to believe that they would because uh, Max Scherzer hadn't pitched in a month. Uh, Max in the postseason has been inclined to, uh, you know, roll up a couple of meatballs like he was uh, the uh, server at, at your finest Italian restaurant in whatever town you happen to be living in. And uh, he, he would just roll them up there like he was Don Carter, right, right to the plate. <laughs> Remember the hooked elbow that he had? And uh, serving up, I mean, just a delicious array of meatballs in the postseason. So th there was reason to believe in the Astros last night. I, I don't know if it's enough to get us home, but it pays sometimes to be just a little bit mishugana when you're out there on the uh, degenerate circuit. The other thing I wanted to uh, touch on uh, quickly here, too, is that I mean, this Chet Holmgren, I, I, I hope he does well. I, I root for everybody. I mean, a skinny kid, uh, it was kind of surprising that he was the number two overall pick. I guess you had uh, Banchero out of Duke. Pablo Banchero was a rookie of the year last year. Uh, he selected number one overall. There was that same speculation that you had, uh, oddly enough, when you had Alex Smith and Aaron Rodgers coming into the National Football League. Uh, I guess you had uh, Peyton Manning one and Rick Myra, and uh, people were debating who was going to be number one. Uh, not Peyton Manning and Rick Myra, but uh, Ryan Leaf, Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. Uh, you know, many years ago, uh, Rick Meyer was uh, also, uh, you know, in one of those one-two debates. But, but uh, you know, one guy was going to be number one, and the other guy was going to be number two. And, and uh, you thought it was going to be uh, Banchero uh, selected second, and uh, that uh, you would have had uh, Chet Holmgren uh, taken uh, number one overall. Luby, you uh, disappeared there for quite a while. <laughs> I'm assuming that I was still going. You were on. Good for there. you. Wow, you kept going. I think you were on this whole time. That's impressive. You did 10 minutes without knowing if you were doing 10 minutes. <laughs> that was always a thing in the radio that uh, I, I found, uh, you know, to, to be extremely frustrating when uh, <laughs> you just laid out some of your best shit, right? And then, uh, you know, the uh, producer finally uh, got a hold of you and said, uh, you've been off the air for 20 minutes. <laughs> you just interviewed the president of the organization that was sponsoring your show. <laughs> and he had called all of his people to uh, tune into the interview. And meanwhile, it was uh, going into dead air. And, and uh, you know, that was something that I probably should have majored in when I was at uh, Syracuse University. I, I didn't really pay much attention to anything that would be applicable to a future career. Right? I kind of barely blew by the Newhouse School of Communications uh, on my way to, you know, going to some bar somewhere or maybe to the racetrack. But uh, they should have had a course uh, called Dead Air 101. <laughs> Especially in the uh, streaming world right now where a guy could just disappear on you in a matter of seconds and you're like, hey, at least some background left or something. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was talking about how much sugar you had to be to bet the Astros at 4-1 to one after yes. they were down 2-0 yes. in a series. And yet, there was some logic to it. 
hundred percent. It wasn't as if that, you know, that, that people could look at you and condemn you and uh, say that uh, you, you should never be allowed to wager again. Uh, start sending you eight, eight, eight at minute. Call me back. Eight, eight, eight at minute. <laughs> and have you committed or something. Uh, so, so they, they stand in there now at two and one and uh, you know, a chance if they can uh, get even tonight, it looks like they got a little bit of an edge in a pitching category, at least as far as the starters are concerned. And, uh, you know, it could easily be 2-2, and then uh, all of a sudden, you don't look so stupid, right? Yep. Hey, yo, you're stupid, you're stupid. <laughs> I started talking to him about Chet Holmgren, and uh, you didn't see this game when he went against uh, Wembenyama. Wembenyama. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if we discussed it here on uh, the morning briefing yet. Um, I, I think, you know, we touched on it because it was very interesting. Uh, Chet Holmgren uh, goes about what a buck forty at seven feet. Seven. <laughs> I think he's more than one hundred and forty. He makes Manute Bowl look like butterbean ash. <laughs> Manute Bowl looks like Haystacks Calhoun. Speaking of old archaic yeah, uh, ref re references to wrestling uh, here on the show, uh, and 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 skinny as a rail, and and, and of course uh, he had that uh, you know bizarre micro fracture injury. Yeah, uh, took down what Blake Griffin? Who, who else uh, had the micro? I know T Mac got it years ago. Um, and say, they say here, and again, this isn't that different. At seven one, he's two hundred eight pounds. There's <laughs> no way. I would sooner believe that Donald Trump was two fifteen. I mean, he's seven one, two oh eight at seven one. Two oh eight. He should be like two sixty to two eighty. <laughs> How many times is he going to ask that question? Uh, you play any basketball? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you see him, you assume he plays basketball. No, I mean, uh, yeah, he, he is he is thin. But, I mean, uh, apparently it's not like, I, I guess if you go to Gonzaga, right, isn't there a chance that a lot of people make fun of you? Just naturally? <laughs> Where do you go to school? Gonzaga. <laughs> Gonzaga. <laughs> It's insane, right? I mean, uh, they used to be known years ago, uh, and this was before you were born, but uh, there was a show called GE College Bowl. Mm. And uh, Gonzaga was always like the bunch of smart kids that would win the fucking thing. They had nothing to do with basketball. I, you know, it, it was uh, inconceivable that they would ever be good at the game. And uh, then Mark Few came along, and even though he can't win a championship, is that one where he goes to his grave having never won the title, no matter how many times they've been favored? And then when they're not favored, like uh, this year, when they were just like, kind of okay, yeah. and everybody, all the wise guys start saying, hey, you know what? You better watch out for Gonzaga. No, you, you don't have to watch out for them. They're going to be knocked out in the <laughs> second round by some schmank team like Fairleigh Dickinson. <laughs> anyway, with Holmgren, I, I think Adam Silver's going to have to address this. They're going to have to institute a rule that's been eliminated in boxing forever, and that is the three knockdown rule is going to have to be in effect. Because this guy hits the floor more than Jerry Quarry. It, it's incredible. <laughs> that series of fights when Quarry was getting annihilated on uh, ESPN Classics to the point where they had to consider stripping the network from all of basic cable. Because, uh, you know, people were complaining, hey, I can't watch this network anymore, man. Jerry Quine gets his shit beat out of him every night. <laughs> Isn't that, that why they took it down? I think they did. <laughs> but uh, Wembenyama, who, who is not exactly like a giant physical specimen, but uh, certainly looks like he has the possibility or the capability of developing into a, a bigger man. A, a, even though, uh, what is he going like? 7'5"? What is this Wembenyama? I mean, he's got to be 7'4", 240, I'm going to say. 235. 235. What, okay. what, uh, what is he? He is 7'4. 
They have him at seven four two ten. Two ten. He's three inches taller and only. Well, then Holmgren is like uh, he's lucky if he's a buck sixty. No. Yeah, Holmgren's probably you're right. Holmgren's probably like one seventy five. Holmgren looks nothing like. Wemby at least has some short, like some definition. Get <laughs> Holmgren looks frail. What's the guy's name? Fundora, the uh, boxer who's like seven feet tall and he's uh, like a, a bantamweight. <laughs> Weighing 118 pounds. He just lost uh, recently to, uh, he was upset uh, by a guy as he was about to step into the title picture. But uh, yeah, the, the towering inferno, they call the guy. Uh, and and he he's surprisingly that he weighs like 160 or whatever it is that they list him at. But uh, yeah, I, I'm thinking Holmgren. Uh, they're going to have to do something though. I mean, uh, he, he has a chin like Tommy Hearns. He really does. <laughs> he just, Down goes the hitman. Six, seven. You all right, Tommy? You okay? You want to keep going? <laughs> seven one. But I've never seen a guy hit the deck so many times as uh, Chet Holmgren did. I, I I hope he makes it through this first season. Yeah, exactly. I know Blake Griffin went on to have a good career, and, and there have been others that have overcome this uh, micro fracture. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, and, and he seemed fine. I mean, he kept peeling himself off the mat there, uh, you know, but he ended up, uh, I mean, he had splinters in his chest by the end of the night. <laughs> he was on the deck more than Dwayne Wade was in his rookie season. <laughs> exactly. At least Wade was doing it by acrobatic, uh, you know, mm-hmm. drives to the basket. This guy was just getting flattened by Wembyama. <laughs> Talk about the atomic elbow. Wow. Right. Uh, so we'll watch that develop as the NBA season is upon us here. And uh, what uh, does it tip off uh, tonight? Uh, the NBA season? No, 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 no. no. It's closer or, to Halloween. Uh, next week, sometime. Like next week, next couple weeks. Very good. All right. Uh, well, we'll get into some college football on the uh, show tomorrow. We had some selections too from our good friend Brandon Lang. Tuesday, October. So a week from this Tuesday. So this upcoming Tuesday is when the season starts. Then we have everything going at the same time. Yes, we will. Literally uh, spawning heaven as uh, there is so much action that uh, you wouldn't be able to possibly keep up with all of it. Uh, Brandon Lang, though, uh, gave us a couple of selections here. Uh, We'll get into uh, more of it tomorrow with uh, our Degenerate uh, Friday picks. Yes. And uh, handicappers on the program here. But uh, Lang's Army getting 30 and a hook from LSU. What do you think? No, why not? I mean, LSU's offense has been good, but his defense hasn't. So you never know. Maybe Army could, like, slow down the game. Little look ahead game. Uh, the big game on the slate is what Ohio State and Penn State. This yes, week. yes, the top ten matchup. Everybody loves Penn State for some reason. I don't. I like Ohio State. I don't like Ohio State, but I would. I feel like Ohio State at home. Penn State hasn't proven anything. They've been average. They haven't played anyone. Don't, don't they always uh, just seem like they're going to be a slow plotting bunch yes. of thugs? They still are. Even whether it's Joe Powell or, or uh, Bill O'Brien or James Franklin, they, their offense always is in. They run the crap out of the ball. That's their whole offense. Linebacker you, yeah. I mean, uh, they line up four across there, and they're uh, usually guys that eat glass before the ball game to get inspired. <laughs> but the rest of the team is uh, uninspired, I, you would have to say. I, I don't know. I haven't seen them uh, play yet this year, so uh, I've we'll see it. how that one goes. Ohio State looked like it uh, got a little bit more polished up on offense. As the cliche goes, uh, we cleaned a couple of things up. <laughs> But it did appear that they were more efficient offensively than they were earlier in the season when they were staggering around. And I were very lucky that Marcus Freeman was the coach at Notre Dame because it uh, may as well have been Jerry Faust. Exactly. Unbelievable. Because, uh, uh, yeah, they, they were lucky to win that game Ohio State against uh, Notre Dame as uh, they pulled it out in the last second. All right, uh, we have to run. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, if I seemed like I was doing some kind of mime actor early in the show, that, that was 
not by design, but uh, those are the unfortunate uh, technical circumstances that uh, you're subjected to in this new streaming world. And I will see you on the next edition from Mike Luby Lewitz of uh, The Morning Briefing. I'm Jeff DeForest. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, here on nofilter.net.